Hello and welcome to another Kangaroo English Daily Digest podcast. My name is Christian and today is Monday, the best day of the week. <laughs> today I am going to be talking about bilingualism and your brain and what's wrong with it <laughs> and, and what that tells us about learning a second language. And I'm going to try and tell a little bit of a story, so so bear with me. And I'm going to start with today's word of the day, which is literal, L-I-T-E-R-A-L. And you, you might immediately recognize that the word literal is kind of a familiar word. And if you stop and think about it, What does it relate to? Well, literal relates to literature, to literacy, to letters. And that's exactly where the word came from. Literal means to the letter. So it means something specific, something precise, something accurate, something true. But you'll find a lot of people now who use the word literal, especially the adverb literally, they use it to mean the opposite. <laughs> they use literally not to mean something true, but they use it for emphasis. So, for example, people might say, uh, my head literally exploded with all that information. It was so cold last night, I literally froze to death. <laughs> I'm so hungry, I could literally eat 500 pizzas. All of those are examples of literally not being used for truth, but being used for emphasis. And a lot of people hate the word literally being used in this way. They consider it to be an abuse of the English language, an abomination, something to be only used by uneducated or uncaring language users. But the truth is that this word has been used in this way for more than, well, for at least 300 years, at least. So it's not a new thing. But the reason that people feel so strongly about it is because in general, people don't like change. People are resistant to new things. And that tells us something about, about human nature. But it also tells us something about language, because the reason that uh, English is so popular right now, the reason English is so successful as a global language, is because it changes. Like all languages that are successful, they change and adapt, and they're not afraid to try out new things. And English is successful because it takes in words from other languages and plays with them. And so English is not afraid to use literally to mean figuratively. Now, let's have a look at how we actually create that adverb, literally. Well, to create it, like most adverbs in English, what we do is we add L-Y. So literal becomes literally. 
But where did it come from? Well, it came from when we used to say like after an adjective. I did it all literal like. He did it quick like. And eventually, over time, that like became shortened and shortened and shortened until it just became Lee. And you will also find exactly the same process in Spanish. In Spanish, literally is literalmente. Mente. And mente means mind, because in the past, Spanish people used to say, I did it with a literal mind. I did it with a quick mind. Uh, rapidamente. <laughs> and eventually these words become grammar. They stop being words and they become something else. And this process is called grammaticalization. And so people who don't like the word literally, what they don't realize is that the word literally and all of the other adverbs they use, like quickly and actually and specially, all of those are a product of hidden language change. Hating change is just really nonsensical and unproductive in, in language. We should be embracing change. But what it tells us is there are things hidden in language that we are not even aware of. And I want to talk about this research paper called A New Cold Feature Handwriting Analysis for Ethnicity and Nationality Identification. And cold is something called a cloud of line distribution. It's a, a type of artificial intelligence. There are various kind of types of artificial intelligence kind of models that you can use. Um, cloud of line is one of them. Random forests are another one. Um, and um, back propagation is another one. I think that they all have really cool sounding names. Right? <laughs> um, and, and what these, these extremely clever people, what they've done is they've discovered an, an, an algorithm, they've created an algorithm that allows them to analyze people's handwriting and then with a quite a high degree of certainty, they can say where that person is from. So what they did was they got people from Bangladesh, China, India, Malaysia, and Iran. They got them to write sentences in English and then they analyzed their English writing and based on how curvy or straight their characters were, how far apart they were, um, how long the lines were, the spacing, but all of those things, they can then tell your, your native language. Now, that's maybe kind of interesting if you're a spy, but, you know, apart from that, it's, it's not really that interesting. What's interesting is what it tells us. It tells us that your native language is hidden in there when you use your second or your third or your fourth language. Your native language interferes with all of the other languages that you use. And that's what 
I'm going to talk about a little bit more now. And specifically, I want to talk about these, these three different papers that I have about bilingualism. One of them is called The Relationship Between Bilingual Exposure and Vocabulary Development, which was about French and English bilinguals in Montreal in Canada. The next one is The Influence of Initial Exposure on Lexical Representation, Comparing Early and Simultaneous Bilinguals. That was about um, bilinguals in Barcelona speaking Catalan and Spanish. And the third one is from Sweden, and I can't read the name of that because the name is in Swedish, and I'm not going to butcher the Swedish language. Um, But all of these three studies have one thing in common, interference. So most people who are learning a language, they... They have this dream of achieving a native-like level of, of language. That's their, that's their objective. They want to, to be like a native speaker. And they assume that if you learn a language from when you are a child, then you will have that, that native um, level. And they also assume that if you're bilingual from birth... Like if you grow up in Montreal or Barcelona, that you will be native-like in both of those languages. Or maybe if you're born in Switzerland and you have three native languages, well, you'll, be, you'll have three native-level languages in your brain. But what the research shows us is that it doesn't actually work like that at all. That even if you are bilingual from birth, even if you have exposure from birth to both languages, at home, out in, out in the streets, at school, you will always have one dominant language. The research shows that these bilingual children are better at, at speaking one language than another one. They're better at vocabulary in one language than another one. They're better with their listening ability in one language than another one. And it shows the power of one language to control all others. And it tells us that that actually, rather than languages coexisting in the brain, what it tells us is that we base all of our second and third and fourth languages on one principal main dominant language. So me having English as a, as a native um, and dominant language, all of the other languages I learn like Spanish will be based on the structures of English that are already exist in my brain. My ability to produce Spanish is limited by the structures that already exist in my brain in English. My English interferes with all of the other languages that I want to learn. And this is a really important thing to understand because 
although most learners have an objective of being like a native speaker, it's just not realistic. Even bilinguals from birth do not have the same native abilities in both of their languages. So you learning as an adult are definitely, unfortunately, not going to be able to develop those same abilities in grammar, in vocabulary, in listening and speaking. Now, I am quite often accused of promoting laziness, of kind of promoting a why bother trying kind of mentality. So, for example, when I tell my students that they're never going to have a native accent, they're never going to lose their, their accent, some people think that what I'm saying is you shouldn't try to improve your pronunciation. But that's not what I'm saying. And people think that when I say, um, you know, that don't worry about your mistakes, that, that you know, that your, your ability to, to improve your, your, your frequency of mistakes, you know, when I say that to my students, don't worry about your mistakes, people think I'm promoting um, a carelessness, like it doesn't matter about your mistakes because um, you can just keep making them and you shouldn't try to not make them anymore. Well, I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is that you need to recognize the limitations based on your actual biology. For example, if I decided that I wanted to start running the 100 meters, I wanted to be really good at running 100 meters, for me to have the objective of running 100 meters as fast as Usain Bolt, well, that's just ridiculous. It's a, it's, it's a ridiculous objective because I'm too old, <laughs> I'm too fat, um, I'm too short, and various other reasons of physical biology. You know, my legs aren't long enough, all of those things, right? Um, and at, in exactly the same way, it is ridiculous for teachers to promote the idea to their students that they will achieve a native-like level of English. Because what's going to happen is they're going to encounter limitations in their biology that are scientifically proven, and then they're going to get demotivated, they're going to fail and they're going to give up and they're not going to be successful, even in any small way. So I'm not promoting laziness, I'm promoting realistic objectives. I'm saying, you don't want to be like a native speaker, the same way that I don't want to be like Usain Bolt, but I want to be absolutely the best 100 meter runner that I can be. So I'm gonna work really hard I'm going to get up early and I'm going to eat a good diet and I'm going to get out there on the track with my trainer. I'm going to work as hard as I can and who knows what my 100 meter speed will be, but that's the best I've got. And it should be the same for you with your language learning rather than 
having an objective of being a native speaker, say, well, I'm going to study as much as I can. I'm going to get really motivated. And my objective is going to be to communicate successfully in as many situations as possible. Where people understand me and I understand them. And the outcome is successful communication. And that's a great objective. That is an objective based in reality and based on the whole meaning of what language is actually for. Um, I hope you found today's Daily Digest interesting and motivating. And I'm Christian. This is Kangaroo English. I'll see you in class.